Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 27. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. This is Laura Reagan, your host for Therapy Chat, and I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who are listening. Therapy Chat's audience has grown by over 300% since the name was changed from the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast to Therapy Chat. I am so grateful for the support of all of you who listen And especially if you've taken the time to go to iTunes and leave a rating and review and subscribe, this really helps iTunes know that people want to hear this podcast and makes it easier to be found on iTunes. So if you haven't done that, I would love for you to go on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review and subscribe. And if you have an iPhone, you can, you can get the new podcast episodes on your podcast app. But Android users can also do that using some of the podcasting apps that are free. And now let's go ahead and get started with the episode. If you've listened to this podcast much, you know that I talk about trauma all the time. I'm a trauma therapist and it's my passion. And I got started in this work when... I volunteered at a sexual assault crisis center when I lived in Virginia. Now, I don't know if you know what a sexual assault crisis center is, but I didn't when I started. In fact, I saw a marquee sign when I was finishing my bachelor's degree that said, volunteers wanted at my local YWCA, and I went in and applied and didn't even know that it was for a sexual assault crisis center because I didn't know that existed. 
I knew about sexual assault and rape. I had heard about it as a woman ever since I can remember. You know, I was told you have to watch out. Someone might try to rape you, which is kind of sad that that's what we tell kids and that that's the reality of our culture. But I was very well aware of sexual assault and rape, but not that there were sexual assault crisis centers that helped people after they were raped or sexually assaulted. So I went in, found out what it was all about, and I was like, that sounds interesting. That would be some great experience and counseling. Let me, let me uh, go through this volunteer training. So I went through an extensive volunteer training that was 40 hours long that I, you know, went in on evenings twice a week and all day Saturday for a few weeks. And I learned so much about trauma in that process, which was kind of new because that was back in 2002 and not all of the sexual assault crisis center programs were really trauma informed at that time. I was just very fortunate to work at one that was. So I volunteered there for a year and a half and then I ended up working there for three years until we moved here to Maryland. I'm pretty passionate about the issue of sexual assault and April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So I want to tell you some information that might be helpful for you or someone you know regarding sexual assault. I don't think people really like to talk about it, but it's a reality in our in fact, statistics indicate that one in four women and one in six men will be sexually assaulted at some point over the lifespan. It's an all too common problem and just being aware of the reality of it and what to do if it happens to you could make a difference. So with April being Sexual Assault Awareness Month, here I go. So I'm going to break down sexual assault into two major types. And when I say sexual assault, I'm including rape and any other unwanted sexual touching or act. Just using the blanket sexual assault term. So I'm going to break it down into childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault or rape. And I'll explain the difference between those two as I'm using in this episode, just for clarity, because there are differences in how you can address each one. So today I'm going to focus on sexual assault and rape when the victim is not a child. This could include a teenager who is sexually assaulted, but it's not a child abuse situation. It's a straight up sexual assault or rape. So if you are sexually assaulted, what can you do? What are your options? This is something that you need to know before it happens. It's harder to think when you've experienced a trauma, but if you know ahead of time how to address it, if it happens to you or someone you care about, or even someone you don't care about, it's good to know what's available. So the first thing you can do is call a sexual assault crisis hotline. Everywhere there are 24 hour sexual assault hotlines and they're staffed by trained people who understand the issues of sexual assault and they also know the local laws. They know the local procedures. 
for addressing sexual assault. So wherever you are, you can call the RAIN hotline, and that's the R-A-I-N-N, Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, RAIN. Um, they're at RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot org. And you can call the RAIN hotline, and wherever you are, it will, it will connect to the local Sexual Assault Crisis Center to where you are. And I think it's based by your phone's area code. So if you're using a cell phone that has an area code from another location, it may connect you to that location if that happens. Um, you know, and it's not, you don't get the information you need for your local area, because not every question is local. Um, then you can go online and search for a sexual assault crisis center near you. They are in every state in our in the US and they're available in many other places around the world. Usually sexual assault crisis centers offer free services to victims of sexual assault and I'm using the word victim. In my mind victim means when someone has just been sexually assaulted they're not yet a survivor because no time has passed but you know you're a survivor after it's happened, but when it happens, I would say victim because you're being victimized. Um, so I just, you know, I say survivor most of the time, but if um, someone has just been sexually assaulted, I would call them a victim of sexual assault. Calling a 24 hour sexual assault crisis hotline, you can ask questions about what to do. They can help with how you feel emotionally, they can let you know what your options are for collecting evidence if you'd like to consider possibly reporting it or even if you don't want to. You can have the evidence collected and saved and if you change your mind and you do decide you want to report it to the police, then you can do so. In all 50 states in the United States, you are able to get a forensic evidence collection exam following a sexual assault at no cost to you and without a requirement that you report the offense to the police. Some places require the police to be involved, but they don't get, the information is collected anonymously. And so there's no requirement that you actually file a report. And you can ask your local sexual assault crisis center when you call that hotline, do I have to speak to the police if I want to get evidence collected? And they can tell you about the local policy. Now there are time limitations within which you can get this forensic exam done. Forensic exams usually need to be done within 120 hours of the sexual assault. So that adds up to five days. Um, that's the national standard. Not every forensic nursing program follows the national standard. Some will do it when more time has passed and some limit the time to a tighter time frame. That's another thing that you can ask the sexual assault crisis hotline in your local area if you're thinking about getting a forensic exam done. And they should know the answer or be able to help you find it. 
Now, what is a forensic exam that I'm talking about? A forensic exam is not you going to the doctor and the doctor checking you out to see if you're medically okay. It's a specialized nurse called a sexual assault forensic examiner or a forensic nurse examiner. But forensic means their evidence collection. A forensic nurse can conduct an evidence collection exam, collect evidence to determine whether there's enough information to prove that a sexual assault occurred. So if you're thinking about getting a forensic evidence collection exam done, you have to be aware that there are some time limitations, that it's best if you don't shower before getting the exam done, but having taken a shower does not mean that you can't collect evidence. It's going to be up to the details of the situation and the forensic nurse's discretion whether they will conduct the exam if you've taken a shower. I mean, sometimes people just don't know you're not supposed to take a shower, and depending on what evidence might be there, it could still be present, even after a shower. But ideally, if you don't take a shower, be aware of the time frames that, you know, as soon as possible after the assault, and hopefully within 120 hours afterwards, um, you have the best chance of being able to collect evidence and hold the person accountable if you choose to report it. Choosing whether or not to report a sexual assault to the police is a very personal choice. And I think it's important for friends and loved ones of survivors to understand that it is up to the individual person whether or not they want to report to the police. I mean, we all want people who do bad things to be held accountable, but only the survivor knows if they want to tell their story and try to um, prosecute the person for what they did. When someone is sexually assaulted, the offender is trying to take away their power and control. So that survivor needs to have their power and control honored. It's their story and they are the ones who have power over who they tell. So if you're a friend or family member of someone who's been sexually assaulted and they entrust you with that information, please follow what End Violence Against Women International recommends and start by believing. Just go ahead and believe them. We don't want to believe that things like that happen, but they do. And if someone entrusts you with that information, they must really trust you. And if you just go ahead and believe them, they'll be much more likely to feel supported than if you question, you know, their recounting of the details of the incident or how much they want to talk about it or how they seem if they don't seem to you like they're as upset as you think they should be. You have to be aware that when someone is sexually assaulted, it's a traumatic event. And when people have experienced trauma in that crisis following the traumatic experience, they don't act the way you expect them to. If you're not traumatized and you're talking to someone who has just experienced a trauma, you might really not understand why they're saying and doing the things they're saying and doing. But if they told you that something terrible happened to them, 
just go ahead and believe them. And you can get more information about the Start by Believing campaign on the End Violence Against Women International website, which is avawintl.org. And I'll have that in the show notes. Now, if you've been sexually assaulted and you want to know, you want some help and you don't know what to do, it's great to tell a trusted friend, but be sure to select the person that you tell is someone who you feel will be supportive because one of the biggest factors influencing how people recover from trauma is the reaction of the first people they tell. If they're believed and supported, they tend to recover very well. If they're not believed and they're not supported, it makes it more complicated for the recovery process to happen. Now, I also want to let you know that I mentioned reporting options for people who are sexually assaulted and want to get a forensic exam. I was talking about your local policies related to the area where you live. Typically, you can go to a hospital, but not every hospital has a forensic nurse examiner on staff. So if you show up at your local ER and you don't know if they have a forensic examiner there, you may wait for a while and then end up having to go to a different hospital to have the exam done. There again, that's something that the sexual assault crisis hotline should be able to help you with because they should know at least which hospitals have forensic exams available, which hospitals have forensic examiners on staff, Um, It doesn't mean that when you get there, there will be a forensic nurse available because some hospitals don't have their sexual assault programs staffed as well as we would all like. Unfortunately, it's a a high demand area and, um, you know, with 24-7 coverage, it's not always possible for someone to be on staff in every program. But... The Sexual Assault Crisis Center can help you to find out which hospital to go to, and they typically offer advocates who can go with you to the hospital. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. And there they can help you understand your options and explain the choices. Because again, when you've experienced a traumatic event, it's very overwhelming to understand a process that you've never been a part of before. And there's a lot of details 
and decisions and the decisions are important and it can be overwhelming. So the advocates that the Sexual Assault Crisis Center programs offer can be an invaluable resource and their services are free. They have information, moral support, crisis counseling, um, help for loved ones of survivors and friends who might come along to the hospital. And and they have so much information. They're very well trained. Like I said, I had to take a 40-hour training. That's a long training for a volunteer to attend. It's like a full week of work. But it was needed because it's very complex. And it was so worth it. Oh, man, it was so rewarding to be able to accompany people through that process and help them feel empowered to make decisions and know what their rights are. Now, if you are in the military, you have a military sexual assault process as well. So in addition to your options to have either a report to the police or an anonymous forensic exam done out in the local community, you also have the option to report within the military if the offender was in the military or if you're in the military, there's someone to serve you and help you um, know what your rights are and what your options are. You don't have to get them involved, but it's an option. And sometimes people like to use their their own in-house programs because it feels more comfortable, especially if you're stationed in a place that you don't know, you know, the local area. Um, so that's something to be aware of. And if you're in the military, you probably know that. But just in case, I'm mentioning it. And if you're in a college or university, you probably also have an in-house sexual assault reporting process. Now, in a college or university, they are not going to pursue a criminal process through the college or university. They will have their own, what you would call an extrajudicial process that is not a legal process that involves the person being charged with a crime, convicted in a court, and sentenced, you know, in um, by the state. Instead, it would be a um, hearing process, and there are a lot of different ways that schools can do it, so I'm not going to say exactly how it goes, but students have rights through Title IX to... Um, be able to report a sexual assault and ask for certain things that they may need in recovering from a sexual assault. So since sexual assault and rape are very, you know, there's a high prevalence of sexual assault and rape in college, um, it's important to know that you have those options and depending on the details of the situation, it may or may not fall under your college's um, program, but every school has someone who's responsible for providing information about the Title IX rights of, of every student. Now, Title IX is not only for women. Um, the services for survivors of sexual assault in college are for everyone. They're not gender specific. And as I mentioned, one in four 
men have been sexually assaulted as well. Another option that people have outside of the criminal legal process is the civil legal process. So, for example, um, this is a perfect example that's very timely right now. Andrea Konstad, who was the woman who came forward and said that she was sexually assaulted by Bill Cosby, she reported this to the police back. The police said there wasn't enough evidence to initiate a, a prosecution. However, she was able to pursue a civil case and there was a financial settlement that was made in the civil case. So in her case, she was not able to pursue a criminal conviction of the person whom she said sexually assaulted her. But in civil court, she was able to obtain a settlement in which, you know, I don't know the terms of it, but... Um, there was a court process, even if it wasn't a criminal process, and that's the civil process. There are usually different statutes of limitations for criminal and civil cases, so that's important to know, and I'll have someone on who's going to be talking about that in detail in a future episode. Even if the criminal process cannot be pursued, does not automatically exclude the possibility that a civil legal process can happen and and in that way you can have a successful way of holding the person accountable. The Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault, which I'm a board member of, is an outstanding resource for information for survivors of sexual assault. And there's a very special reason that MCASA, as we call it for short, is so informative about sexual assault because in addition to the information about how survivors can get help following a sexual assault, which, where the rape crisis centers are in Maryland, getting a forensic exam, information on other resources, what will happen during a forensic exam, different brochures, statistics. The Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault also has a legal institute called SALI, Sexual Assault Legal Institute, S-A-L-I. And SALI provides comprehensive legal services, including issues ranging from employment, housing, education, and financial support to criminal justice advocacy, immigration, and family law, and legal services to support survivor privacy, and safety. So Sally helps with civil legal services for survivors of sexual assault. And they, they can potentially represent people in civil legal cases, as I mentioned before. Legal services for survivors of sexual assault are available in other places as well. And it depends on your local area whether there are any services available where you are. The best way to find out where there's a sexual assault crisis center near you nationwide is the RAIN website. Go to centers.rain.org and you can enter your state and zip code or zip code and it will tell you where you can find a sexual assault crisis center that usually offers free or low cost individual counseling, support groups, hospital accompaniment, the advocacy I mentioned, legal and criminal justice system advocacy, crime victim assistance advocacy, community education, um, 
practical assistance, sometimes emergency shelter, and if you wanted to get started volunteering, which I highly recommend, that's where you can do it is through your local sexual assault crisis center, which you can find on the RAIN website at centers.rain.org. Sexual assault crisis centers have specially trained staff who specifically understand the issues of survivors of sexual assault. And it's not just the same as general therapy or counseling. When you work with a counselor therapist who has specific experience and training in helping people who've experienced sexual assault, it's really helpful. Okay, so just real quick, I'm going to talk to you about how people often react following a sexual assault and um, when to know that, you know, it might be helpful to get some professional help. Because a lot of times when people are sexually assaulted, they don't tell anyone and it's still affecting them years and years later and they don't realize that it's from the sexual assault. But it's a trauma. So everyone's different. So I'm going to list some, some common reactions and this is from the Medical University of South Carolina website. If you don't feel some of these feelings or you have other feelings that aren't the same, this is just a general list. And it could be any of these responses. Feeling fear, feeling out of control, having flashbacks, which is re-experiencing the assault over and over in your thoughts or dreams as if it's happening again. It's like you're watching a movie and you're seeing what happened. Having trouble concentrating, memory issues, and um, feeling scattered, feeling guilty, blaming yourself for being out so late, or how much you had to drink. And it's not your fault no matter what. It's because it's the other person who sexually assaulted you that's to blame for this. Sometimes people feel dirty, wanting to take frequent showers, feeling sad or depressed, loss of interest in things that you used to enjoy, increased conflicts in your relationships, not being interested in sex. These are normal reactions to a traumatic event, but if you're having flashbacks, trouble sleeping, and it's gone on for more than, you know, a week or two after the assault, it may be helpful to get some professional guidance to to cope with those reactions because trauma is not something you can just get over on your own. And not everyone who experiences a traumatic event has trauma symptoms afterwards. But if you do, and they don't go away by themselves and it starts to interfere with your functioning, you know, school, work, relationships, you're numbing more, you're trying to avoid thinking about it, but it keeps popping up. Um, it, can, it can help to get therapy or counseling either at a sexual assault crisis center for free or with a therapist who has training and specific experience in sexual assault. So I will list all the websites I mentioned in the show notes. And since it's April, I'm going to talk about a few things that you can do to support efforts to end sexual violence. One is find out where the monument quilt is in your area. The monument quilt is a crowdsourced collection of thousands of stories of survivors placed on squares and stitched together to make a quilt. It's a very powerful display and I saw it two years ago. It's probably much bigger now because it's constantly being added to. And you can go on the monumentquilt.org and find out where 
it will be displayed. There will be one this weekend in Baltimore. So I don't know um, when you'll be listening to this, but on April 9th and the rain day is April 10th, 2016, there will be a display of the monument quilt in Baltimore on North Avenue between Charles and Howard streets. You can go to a production of the Vagina Monologues, not in April because they usually do that in February on Valentine's Day, but sometimes it goes on throughout the year. Or the other play by Eve Ensler that supports sexual violence is A Memory, A Monologue, A Rant, and A Prayer. And you can get information about that on vday.org. That's Eve Ensler's global movement to end violence against women and girls. Although sexual assault affects people of all genders, so ending sexual violence helps everyone. Another thing you can do if you want to support the movement to stop sexual violence is find out if you can volunteer at your local sexual assault crisis center. Make a donation to your local sexual assault crisis center or your statewide sexual assault coalition. These programs are woefully underfunded and um, they can use all the help they can get financially. There are usually Take Back the Night events throughout the month of April put on by local communities and sexual assault crisis centers and colleges. Um, so you can look to see um, where that would be. Just Google Take Back the Night and see if there's anything going on in your community. In Washington, D.C. on April 21st at 6 p.m. at the Milken Institute School of Public Health, there's a screening of a film called Sold, which is about child sex trafficking. Another event that is often put on during Sexual Assault Awareness Month is called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, and it's a mile walk in which men wear high heels to understand the experience of being a woman, and there's awareness raised um, through information about sexual assault, and funds are raised. Another thing is the Clothesline Project. The Clothesline Project is a display of t-shirts. It's kind of the same idea as the Monument Quilt, It's but it's um, survivors decorate t-shirts to share something either about their emotions or their story, and they're displayed. And when they're hung next to one another on the clothesline. It's really haunting to see just the pain represented there. And also there's stories of triumph, but it's kind of one of those things that just makes you realize how big this problem is. So you can go to the clothesline project, I'm sorry, clotheslineproject.org and um, see where the clothesline project will be displayed near you. It's often done at colleges and universities, but not only in those places. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com.
Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So those are some of the ways that you can get involved during Sexual Assault Awareness Month or any time to help support the movement to end sexual violence. I think it's really important. I know far too many people affected by sexual assault in both my personal life and in my work life, of course, because I work with a lot of survivors. It's something that can be stopped. And, you know, as the campaign says, it's on us. We're all responsible for ending this problem, and I hope this podcast episode on Sexual Assault Awareness Month has been helpful. The next episode about sexual assault this month will be on childhood sexual abuse, and I'll talk about the specific issues of adults who were sexually abused in childhood and what we can do to prevent childhood sexual abuse. Till then, thanks so much for listening. Please go on iTunes and leave a rating and review. I appreciate every one of you who are listening, and I'll be back next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.com lcswc.com